Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Our guest today is Mike Ambrose, who is Solomon's product line manager, and more recently, he has also become Solomon's merchandiser for North America. And I think for anyone who might be interested in working in the running industry someday or ending up in a position like Mike's where you are heavily involved in product design and working with athletes and the rest, well, I think you're going to be really interested to hear the ins and outs of Mike's life and how he got interested and extremely passionate about running and how he got to where he is today. Now, in addition to talking a whole lot about Mike's background and his own personal story, Mike and I talk a lot about the Solomon Ultra Glide, which Mike was heavily involved in designing, and it was cool to hear him walk us through the design and release of that shoe and taking it from concept to production. We also discuss where Mike thinks trail shoe design is headed, And we also get Mike's thoughts about the differences between North American and European trail running and running culture and the running shoe markets. So yeah, I guess in this conversation, we're talking about running cultures and Mike's own personal story and shoe design. And as you are about to see, Mike offers a really interesting perspective on all of the above. And so with that, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Mike Ambrose. Here we go. Well, Mike, how are you today and where are you today? Yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm in the Solomon USA office uh, here in Ogden, Utah. And you just went for a run. I feel like maybe you're just sucking up, you know, to the running community right now. Or actually, I don't think that at all. I think this is probably part of just your general everyday life. But tell us about that. Well, I mean, I, I love to run. I mean, anyone who knows me first and foremost, that I'm, I'm super passionate about about running. But this is probably more to um, make my coach happy here as we get ready for some spring races. So getting in a little workout at lunch, uh, just to keep uh, keep some fitness going. Are you frequently on the, it's my lunch break, I'm going to use this break to go run? Is that a common part of your program? Since I moved back to the U.S., it has been. Uh, living in Europe, I was actually an early morning runner because I was kind of in the office all day and just getting out in the morning was you know, a good way to secure you know, getting the run in. But kind of now with this transition, learning a new kind of work culture and new job, the, the lunch runs worked out really well. What is the title of your current position? So I am the merchandiser for the trail running business for North America for Solomon. And I'm also um, still a product line manager for trail running for Solomon Global. That's a lot of words. So, That's kind of a mouthful. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's a 50-50 global and U.S. role. One's you know commercial, one's more of a product role. So kind of a split hybrid here at the moment. And how long have you been in this new position? It's the merchandiser part that's the new part yep. of your gig. How long have you been doing this? And this, this got you to move from Europe back to the US? Yeah, so it's been 27 days. So January 1st, I started, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then prior to that, I was I was over in NSC France at Solomon HQ for about three years as a product line manager. Got it. I love that our running editor put this question in for today. And he just said, be sure to ask, what is a product line manager? And I was like, that's a great question, Matt. We should have this spelled out. Because again, these are terms that... It's like, I think people are familiar with like, I'm a CEO or COO or marketing director, but we do this weird other title thing. So to Matt's question, what is a product line manager? Yeah, it's a great question. So product line manager or PLM. So in the industry, a lot of times you hear PLM, oh, he, she, they're a PLM for this company. Um, so your product line manager, and, and that really differs for each company. Uh, generally speaking, the the product line manager, you may hear me see PLM throughout the conversation, uh, is really in charge of orchestrating and designing the range of products. So the assortment and the offer from a brand for a specific category. So in my case, it was trail running. So kind of managing you know, what shoes get developed, when they get developed, how they get developed, whether that's a new concept, an update, 
And really, it's all about gathering consumer insights, uh, cultural insights, and, and things like that to then work with the design team and development team to bring that that product or concept to life. And create a coherent overall lineup. Is that is that a significant part of it? Or it's like, eh, sometimes there's good reasons to not worry too much about a coherent line as opposed to just nailing certain products that a brand might like. How much um how much consistency is there do you imagine from different brands when it comes to like you're a PLM, you better shape us a really coherent line where all the different products kind of make sense as a whole. Yeah, I think it probably depends on on the brand and, and how they're organized. So at Solomon, you know, within trail running, we have a few different, you know, kind of teams within trail running. So there's, you know, I was a trail running concept PLM. So I was working on kind of our key products, our sense rides, ultra glides, speed cross, XA pro, things like that. And then there's also our S lab team as well. So there was another PLM for S lab, uh, Marion, really amazing coworker. And I kind of had a dotted line to S lab, S lab as well. Um, so it's kind of everyone's working under the same umbrella, but almost at times in different silos, it all depends. Um, but for sure we, we try to make it as, um, cohesive as possible. Um, so it's easier to understand if you're a runner and consumer. So let's back things up, like really back things up, maybe getting pretty close to the, you know, I don't know, beginning of your life, but we'll use this, uh, we'll give you a long runway to answer the question. Like, how did you get to become a PLM at Solomon? Wow. That's, that's a really great question. I think if you were to, just, you know, Actually, people ask me this quite a bit, and I say it's, it was school of hard knocks, right? It was just, uh, it was just kind of being in the sport, being passionate about the sport, and making the right connections, and living and breathing the sport every single day. That, I mean, that's kind of like if I were to to summarize it at a high level, that would be it. But the reality is, I mean, I, I grew up in New Jersey. I wasn't really a trail or mountain kid. I grew up in, in the suburbs in New Jersey, and didn't really see a mountain until I was like 18 or 19 years old. I went um, I went on a ski trip with a high school girlfriend to Vermont. I never even skied before. And that was my first time ever seeing a mountain. And I kind of just, you know, got into it, got into running in the outdoors in college. It was just something new and something exciting for me. And, you know, from there, it just it, things started to evolve. So to get a little more specific, I think I was, I was just getting into running and I was like 20 or 21 and I was on Patagonia's website and I saw that they had a category called trail running and they had a video about trail running and it was Chrissy Mail, and she was talking about this, you know, I think it was Western States or something at the time. And I just like, I guess kind of, I got captivated by it. You know, I, you know, for Christmas that year, I asked for uh, Dean Carnazzi's book, for example, you know, I was like, holy crap, this is crazy. And I knew who like Dean and Chrissy were. And then um, you start to kind of, you, you know, watch more things and you're watching runners world YouTube videos and Patagonia YouTube videos and, just trying to get into it as much as possible. And then I decided to run a 50 mile race in college with a friend. And at the time I, I still didn't even know like ultra running was a thing. You know, this is now it's like 2010, 2011. And then, you know, like anyone in the sport or any other endurance sport or sport that you get passionate about, you learn more and more about it. And then, you know, I graduate college, I moved to Philadelphia, living in Philly and still trying to follow the sport. And then, you know, you, you stumble upon Anton Kropitsch's blog, right? Which I think is like, the general muse for everyone in my generation and, and more. Um, you know, it's so funny crossing paths with people who are like, oh yeah, Tony, you know, he inspired me. And I'm like, yeah, hundred yeah. um, percent. Actually got a funny story about that. I can tell you after, but, um, and then you learn who Killian is. And then it just, you know, then if, if you've got the bug, it's, you know, it's, you're, you're mm -hmm. hooked. You're and, done. Um, yeah. And then a, basically a bunch of friends and I, um, actually two buddies, Ryan and Chris, we quit our jobs in Philadelphia and took a train to Colorado. And I, I think I was kind of the ringleader here. I just wanted to go and trail run. And I wanted to run up and down 14ers like Tony, basically, if I'm, if I'm honest. Like, if I really be honest about it. And just we quit our jobs and, like, spent the summer wandering around, wandering around the American West and eventually got jobs in Frisco, Colorado. And, you know, spent the rest of the summer running up and down mountains. And then we moved to Leadville, working in coffee shops. And then you're totally in the scene. And I started to run more races and do more you know, adventures, get to know more people. And, and then I'm working in a running store and still, still racing a ton, running a ton, you know, super involved in the sport. You know, now I'm in Breckenridge, Colorado. It's 2014. I'm the manager of a running store there. And, you know, I, I meet some Solomon reps, you know, sales reps that come in 
And from there, you know, I just start to, to chat about what it's like to get into the industry and uh, had some really great advice. And, you know, at the same time, yeah, you're super passionate, right? Like I'm just in the sport, you know, working, uh, working in a shop, talking to runners, I'm, you know, running every single day, running as many races as I possibly can all over the country. And this really amazing tech rep job opened up and it was in New England. And I convinced my, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, I was like, Hey, like, this is kind of a dream job. It's with Solomon. And, and to be totally honest, I was a total Solomon fanboy. Like hmm. I would, I'd be the guy who'd get up, you know, six 30 in the morning to, to get the Solomon TV drop to watch it. You know, I was like totally obsessed. Like I was the most nerdy trail runner <laughs> there was. And, and I, and I remember just like, you know, when, when Killian and Emily came in 2012 to Breckenridge and like, you know, trying to catch him out on the trail and stuff and which is totally hilarious. But, um, so yeah, I mean, Solomon was like the dream company. It was always the dream was to be a part of Solomon in some way. I, like, I think so many, uh, runners, uh, you know, how that's how they feel about the brand. So, so then, yeah, we moved to new England and I'm a tech rep. So basically I'm traveling around doing events, doing shop clinics, going to stores, um, supporting the brand in like a field marketing role. And, you know, that, that evolves to a marketing job back, uh, back in Utah. So, so we went from Breckenridge to, to new England um, for about a year. And then, you know, I take a job at Solomon HQ where I am, where I'm at now, um, as a marketing specialist, do that for a year. Then I become the brand manager for, for Solomon running North America team manager, um, all at the same time, just making a lot of great connections to the global team. And, and, you know, I'm a running geek, I'm a, I'm a shoe geek. So I'm, I'm, you know, super involved in the product and in the community. And, and then I got really lucky one day I was over in Europe for a, for a sales meeting and, uh, the director of product at Solomon HQ was like, Hey, do you want to come and you know lead our, our product development efforts for trail running? And, you know, easy call again, call my, call my wife. And I'm like, Hey, uh, do you want to move to France and um, <laughs> live an hour from Chamonix? And we'd been going to Chamonix and stuff in the summers to uh -huh. run and, and to, to adventure. And it was kind of like, no, like let's, let's talk about it. It's like, okay. Yep. Good. Tell me you're in. And then, you know, it just seemed everything all happened so fast. And then, you know, three months after that, I'm, I'm living in France working on uh, Solomon trailing products. So. Pretty wild ride. Yeah. Couple things we need to bring up yeah. here. First of all, yeah. so props for having the coolest wife in the world. That was my yep. primary takeaway from this. So she sure. was just game to like bouncing and moving to New England, to France, etc. You, you, yeah, yeah you owe out. her. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I, maybe I sold it really well, but, um, well, you know, like moving to Colorado, you know, we were dating in college. So, you know, we'd always talked about moving to Colorado uh, when we first started dating and stuff. And uh, so that was an easy sell. Moving back to New England was a little bit tougher um, just because we had, we were so solidified in, in the Rockies. And that was a little bit tough moving to Boston. And then, but moving back to the, back to Utah was really, really pretty easy. Um, and then luckily we had some nice, um, some nice vacations in France over the past couple of years. So that kind of eased the transition. Got but yeah, it. she's awesome. Yeah, I'd say so. The other thing I'm curious about is what were you studying in college or your first work out of college? Um, were you doing anything in the world of engineering or design or was it maybe business and marketing? But like, was the stuff that you actually, you know, went and got your formal education, spent your time in formal education doing, did that end up translating into like your progression of, you know, you've just described well, this trajectory of yours with Solomon and well, running shops to Solomon, et cetera. Or was it like, nope, that actually had nothing to do with anything. It really was about, I was a passionate and curious uh, person about this whole running thing that I didn't know that much about initially. How did that work? Yeah, I think since I was a kid, like I've always loved shoes. So I was a big Michael Jordan fan as a kid and always had Jordans and I've always been like really, really into sneakers and shoes and, and I've always been really observant as, as a kid. I just kind of would see things, remember things and, and take note of things and especially take note of like the way things occurred more in like, um, a, a societal way. Like I was really observant of like things around me. I've always been like that, um, as a, as a person. And then when I got into college, I actually studied psychology because I wanted to, I wanted to think, I, I you know, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. But I knew I wanted to think critically and I wanted my education to teach me that or to at least leverage that side of me. So I studied psychology and um, after college, actually, I, I moved to Patagonia to work for a conservation project down there. Um, if you've ever seen the movie 180 South, it's, um, yeah. it's where I went. Um, 
So I went down there and that was more just like, Mike wants to go to Patagonia. Um, but then when I came back, I got a job uh, working for the North Face as a manager at like the retail level because I kind of started getting into the outdoors more. And I thought maybe down the line, I wanted to work in, in product development. And I thought, well, might as well start working in, in the shop. I don't really know how to do this. I didn't know about like University of Oregon and and all these great programs that exist. So I was just trying to figure it out. So yeah, I studied psychology and I think just my personality and and who I am just really facilitated this this transition. So now I'm studying to get an MBA currently, um, which is my more not my school of hard knocks training, my more formal training. But, gotcha. Yeah. It's always a really interesting question, at least as I see it, whether to go do, say what you did, study psychology, or in our last Off the Couch podcast, we were talking with Sabrina Little, who was a philosophy major, philosophy PhD, now a philosophy professor. And that's a bit of my own background. So there's a bit of a soft spot in my heart for like, go do the humanities work in psychology, learn different ways of how people operate and some of the weird ways we operate versus like when you go learn the brass tacks stuff of principles of design or or business management or the rest. And man, both are so useful. And I'm not sure I have the answer of which to do first. I guess I probably have my own personal preference and bias, you know, but I don't know. Do you have a clear, because you're right. So many of these programs great programs do exist now that are a bit more tailored to where it would seem obvious. Like, oh, if you want to get into this PLM game, go study design or business management. But then, I don't know, it doesn't sound like you regret your time studying psychology. No. And, you know, I think, I think there's, to get into the outdoor industry, which is a question I get a lot, there's, there's really, I think, two ways to do it. And exactly what you said, like, go do the formal education, which is, which is fine. You know, a lot of a lot of people do that, and I've had a lot of great coworkers that have gone a more formal route, and they're extremely great at what they do, and it's it's, it's awesome. And then there's also people I think like myself who kind of fall into it in a way. And I think if you're I think if you're passionate about something, you love something, there's there's no education that can that can teach that. So I I think there's really you got to follow like you know follow yourself and listen to your gut, and you know I mean I I don't. I mean, I was, I remember I was 18 years old. I was driving across the country with my best friend and, you know, we we're just dirtbagging around, like sleeping in our car. And I never thought I'd be a runner or, you know, product line manager for a company like Solomon or, you know, I was just reading Jack Kerouac and, and drinking, you know, jugs of wine. And, <laughs> you know, somehow, you know, three years later, I'm running a 50 mile race. And I, I don't know. I mean, but I think it all matters. I think, I think having that kind of worldly experience or different types of cultural experiences yeah. makes you better at what you do. Yeah. Um, I, I listened to, to Dave Chappelle. I did an interview or, or heard a clip and basically like the more experience you have make, you know, makes or made, made him a better comedian because he has perspective on different things. And I thought about that too with myself. Like I'm not comparing myself to Dave Chappelle in regards of stature, but I think I've been really lucky to have a lot of, a lot of different experiences, a lot of failures, a lot of setbacks, a lot of success. So yeah, I think it all kind of contributes. And just to put a bow on this point, I think that is the right answer. If you're, first of all, just please be curious in life, be curious, pursue different experiences. Like everyone, maybe you and I would say, we're, we don't want to really hear it. We don't really want to debate that one. Like, just do that, please. But then if you find yourself like, I don't know, I might want to go here someday. And if you're drawn to that business side, Go do that now. Go do the thing you are passionate about. And maybe the humanities stuff or your broader reading comes later. And if it's the reverse of that, do that. But I think that principle of just stay curious and passionate and dive into those opportunities while you're also seeing what else is out there and kind of remaining open, maybe that's something like a decent, um, if not a blueprint, a decent way of just being in the world. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I love, I love the curiosity. Um, because yeah, I don't know. I mean, just and and challenge things and and yeah, I don't know. Think for yourself and yeah, be curious and and be passionate. I think that's yeah, a really great way to live your life. So let's talk a little bit more about your own running. And you have done the thing that many of the guests on Off the Couch have done. Part of it is like exploring this new world and what am I really capable of, or maybe what 
distances am I most interested in or maybe best at? Talk a little bit about your own journey through this uh, through this world of running. Yeah, so I, I started, you know, I did a road marathon in college and I kind of just went right to like a 50-mile race, the JFK 50. And that was just more about how I discovered the sport. Like I didn't really know much about running. I wasn't a runner before. So I didn't have this like track to transition across country to you know, do shorter distance, long distance. It was kind of like just jumped into a marathon when I was in college and then into, into the 50 miler. And then it's like, you know, then when you start learning more about that, you're like, Oh, I'll, tr- I'll try a hundred miler. So that's, you know, that's what I, what I did. I don't know if that's the best way to do it. I think, I mean, if that's the way you fall into it and that's what you love to do. And like we are saying, like, go for it, you know, go all in and, and experience it and explore. Um, but I think first and foremost, you just have to, to love what you're doing and you have to um, just enjoy the process, whatever that is. That could be going 5K to a half marathon, 50 mile to 100 mile. Um, it's just enjoying, you know, enjoying laying the foundation for for that house that you're going to live in one day and um, and be patient with it too. You know, I think I rushed into it at times. Um, for sure, I think I just, you know, went in a little too hot and, you know, lost control. I was just like, oh, this is just insane. I just want to keep running further and further and further. And I probably burnt myself out a little bit, but yeah, I think just ease into it, learn. Uh, don't be afraid to, to to fail either. You know, if it doesn't go right, you know, you figure it out. You learn from it. Everyone, everyone has setbacks in yeah. the sport, but yeah, just just enjoy the process. What are you most interested in currently? Um, so let's put put that more broadly. Like I don't know, the past twelve months, the next twelve months. Where have you been most excited? What kinds of races? Maybe what kinds of distances? Yeah, so I would say. Um, I probably like to use the, the COVID, the start of COVID as a good benchmark. Cause prior to that, I was really, really into racing. Um, the hundred K mountain hundred K distance was starting to go really well for me. Um, some bigger European, um, you know, mountain races. And then, you know, then obviously pandemic happened and I didn't race for a whole year. And I, at the same time I was, you know, I was living in the Alps. So it's a really cool community of people that kind of blend trail running and mountaineering together, you know, um, kind of, came to my doorstep and, and, or me to that, me to their yeah, doorstep. And, yeah. and I just really started to get into like big mountain stuff. Um, I think Hillary Girardi was on your podcast yeah. earlier, uh, maybe a couple months ago and, and Hillary and I just started, you know, she was a huge inspiration for me, a huge, you know, mentor for me in, in this space. And, um, yeah, just people like that, you know, just, and my good friend, Alex, like just doing big mountain stuff, like, you know, starting in Les Uches or Chamonix and going to the top of the Mont Blanc or some other neighboring, neighboring peaks, um, in the Valley and, and stuff like that was really like, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm still super into it. It's, it's been, I think it's one of the most freeing, most just beautiful things in the world, um, to go light and fast. So I kind of got away from racing a little bit. Um, I, I did a few races last year and I, and I, I will do some this year, but I, I don't know. Um, I think first and foremost, I just want to be, be in the mountains, mm-hmm. you know, moving as fast as possible and, and enjoying, yeah, just the, the moment of just moving through, moving through the mountains. Got it. That's really cool. And I, I love hearing you sort of talk about that just cause races are one thing that's one bag and cool. If that's your, if that's your thing, but that's sure not the only thing out there in the running world. Right. And, and I, so I, I think sometimes, I don't know, it's maybe refreshing to just have somebody say, yeah, um, I did some time in races. I'm sure I'll do it again. But honestly, that's not my primary interest in the discipline slash sport slash activity at the moment. And yeah, here, here. Yeah. I mean, I'm signed up for a bunch of races this year. Um, but if I look back on like what I've been I'm most proud about, most happy about, or some of the best days I've had with, with running, it's probably not been in a race. Um, and I, and I think historically too, if I think about the past 10 years of being a runner, my, my best moments, best memories probably aren't a podium or a, or a top 10 or, you know, top 20, whatever it is. It's probably just been sharing, sharing the trails and, and the time with, with really good friends, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a bit more about your job as a product line manager and shoe design. First question, how has your own experience as a runner and maybe some of your own personal preferences influenced what you maybe are in a room trying to get, you know, push Solomon designers to make or do? Do you 
very much kind of lead with your own experience? Do you try to step away, you know, step back from maybe some of your own personal preferences? How does that work from your, again, your own personal experience when it comes to designing shoes for a bunch of people all over the world? Yeah, I mean, I try to use use my experience, right? All, you know, years of talking with runners, being around runners, you know, being um, observant of, of what's, you know, what people are wearing, um, how they're how they're how they're wearing shoes, or you know what how they're practicing the sport. Um, but I really try to take my own personal needs out of it, you know, because my job is to build trail running shoes for for the trail running community, and I have specific needs that are maybe not the best for everyone. So I really try to take myself out of it, but I try to use experience and and what I know about the running community and the sport to to influence that for sure. Um, you know, like a shoe we worked on uh, was the Ultra Glide and. I'm not really a big, uh, big cushioning person. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm kind of like a medium, like medium height, medium firmness. I don't really need a, a big soft shoe or like a big soft shoe. Now I've come to like them <laughs> over the past year, but you know, I'm, I'm, when I'm writing these briefs and I'm, I'm working with designers, it's not, I, I take myself out of it. It's really to, it's provide the best experience for the runner. Um, and I like to think of it emotionally and rationally. Like what is, you know, what does, you know, what does, you know, what is, Sally or Bob, the trail runner, want? Well, emotionally, they want to run forever. They want to run pain-free. They want to be the best versions of themselves. And then, okay, well, if that's the motion what they do, well, what, what do they need to get there? Well, rationally, they need cushioning. They need grip. They need a good fit. They need X, Y, and Z. So I try to blend those two together to create a more comprehensive brief on you know, how we want this product or this idea to take shape. Yeah, I actually really like that answer. I, <laughs> I get asked a lot, you know, about certain products, you know, what's your favorite this or your favorite that? And I, I so am tempted to be like, it doesn't matter. Like, unless you're me, why do you care? Right? So for us, it's all about the ability to articulate well to everybody else, what a given product, like who a, a given product might work really well for if you're looking for this, that, or the other thing. And so, um, yeah, I, uh, I kind of appreciate that answer actually. And I suppose it does differ for different people. And on a given project, you know, if the ultra glide in particular was like, this is something I really wanted for myself. And I really believed it would work for a lot of other people for these different reasons. That's cool. That's fine. That's totally coherent. But um, I like that a shoe that you are very closely tied to, you're like, well, this wasn't necessarily what I personally was maybe looking for it wasn't your personal you know your personal shoe um right but but you know it's funny I, i've come to love that shoe and um it's the shoe it's the only shoe i wear now so okay so this is also interesting then <laughs> because how the whole personal preference thing can sometimes shift so what do you attribute that to i mean it, we've talked about being open to new experiences and new things but obviously obviously in the whole you know minimalist versus kind of maximalist (laughs) shoe wars where both sides at times want to make very strong statements about this is actually the better thing and that other side is kind of doing it wrong or getting it wrong i don't know how have you thought about this or how have you actually transitioned to really like something pretty different from where your own past personal experiences rested and maybe some of the principles you held kind of dearly i hope that strange question makes some sense yeah for sure i mean as it comes to you know with the running shoes i think you know when i i wasn't really that big into a lot of cushioning and that was more just i think not liking the instability that came with it and kind of the the rolling sensation and the squishiness but i think what happened over the past few years is you know, with a lot of these super shoes is the foams have gotten so good. And, you know, when I've, I've tried some, some kind of road super shoes for lack of a better word, I really started to like the, not only the cushion, but also just the bounciness and, and the responsiveness and, and kind of how fun they are to run in. Um, which I, I really think that's the best way to describe it. Like when you put on, you know, a pair of vapor flies, they're just fun. Like you just feel fast. They, they bounce, they're soft. It's, it's really pretty nice. And I think, you know, as technology has changed, and then we were able to use a softer foam in our own products, like the SL Pulsar, the Ultra Glide, and, and some future stuff. I just kind of liked the package that we were able to put it in with, you know, the fit and the grip. And I didn't have it wasn't the same maybe expectation, or maybe I just started to really like the 
the fun bounciness of the shoe. So I think it was just probably the right combination of, of trying them, new technology, and then putting it in the right package. I do think there's probably a deeper, deeper conversation about how could you, how could you change your, your ideas and, and perceptions and what you like and don't like. But I think in, in the running shoe world, yeah, it just comes down to like things evolving and, and our own needs evolving and how we, you know, what the experience we want to have evolving. So yeah, I'm into cushioning now. <laughs> I'm into cushioning now. But how much time do you spend paying attention? Because again, you you know what I'm talking about when it comes to certain defenses of really minimalist shoes, right? There are, this isn't just talk about preference. Sometimes the claims get into, this is physiologically better, Right. And both sides kind of end up telling a story about this is actually better for, say, knee health. Right. And what do we do here? Yeah. You know, there's there's science that go both ways. Right. There's science that shows that running barefoot is great. There's some that say you're going to destroy your soleus Achilles and and feet. And then same thing with with Max Cushion. Oh, it's great for impact. It's it's terrible because it, you know, it um, inhibits the muscular sensors in your feet. I think it comes down to, you know, personal preference, you know, what you like and, you know, what's the experience like that when you run, how does it make your body feel? What, what works for you? You know, it's like, do you run on a woodway treadmill? Do you run on a regular treadmill? Do you run on trail? You know, I think it, everybody's body is so different. Um, and it really comes down to like what, what you respond positively to, you know, so, you know, some runners can run 150 miles a week. It's great. Some can only do 70 and it's great too. So I think it's, it's just like everything else. It, it really comes down to what you like and what you want to experience and, and, what you get the best, you know, experience from the most positive benefit from. Yeah. And so it sounds kind of basic, but it's a bit of experimentation. Frankly, I kind of think the same thing about diet. You know, we get a lot of strong claims about this is the best way to eat or whatever. And at a certain point, I mean, you can arrange a diet based on one, say, personal ethics. That's one way to do it. But another thing is just, how do I feel? How am I performing? And I, again, maybe a good area to be a bit open and rather than just, and I do think, I'd like to think, actually, I'll make, put this as a question to you. Do you think there is less dogmatism, less sort of evangelism these days about the sort of minimalist versus maximalist people are in fact, a bit more open to like, I don't know, go run a bit and figure out, are you running injury free? Do you feel good? Where do you think we are in the, in terms of dogmatism about these things better or worse than we were? I think we're probably better. I think it's a little more open-minded now to your point. I think people are just really open to, to trying things out and seeing how things go. I think it's interesting to see, you know, you see all these, um, road runners who are breaking these breaking these records and these maximal shoes and these, these big soft shoes and i don't think 10 years ago anyone ever thought that would be the case right you know to go fast you need a firm shoe that was like a two by four um but now i think this has also opened the conversation up to you know what's what's a performance benefit to it and yeah i think it's yeah i think we're in a, i think we're in a good place um i'm sure there's going to be a pendulum swing at some point just like everything else but i, I think we're in a really good place for being open-minded hmm. What's interesting, though, when you're talking about records falling and times, you know, getting reduced, if there's a pendulum swing, you know, like, because I'm with you. I mean, this is how kind of all industries work. They function in terms of pendulum swings. But we've got actually, you know, this whole thing about, well, we want to run certain distances faster, and so can there be a pendulum swing or continue to be if it really is just like, look, this version of things, like at what point isn't it about a pendulum swing? We're just figuring out what kind of design is actually fastest for maybe a significant number of runners. Yeah, that's a good point. I think, yeah, you're probably right when it comes to road running performance. We're probably not going to see that swing because, you know, road running is very linear and we're seeing very linear results and it's hard to think about it going the other way. I think maybe in trail, it's a little different where trail running is a little less linear. There's, um, you know, there's, there could be altitude, there could be terrain differences, gradient differences, temperature differences, distance differences, where it's a little bit like I think super shoes on trail aren't just about going faster. I think it's what's going to make you go higher. What's going to make you go downhill faster. What's going to help you protect your body for a super long race. I think in road running, super shoe is pretty much, you're going to go faster. 
Um, in trail, I think it's a little bit different. And I think there's a lot more variables that, that could create a pendulum swing. Agreed. Yeah. Let's stay on the ultra glide. This shoe has been really well received. Seems like it's a shoe that can end up working for a lot of different runners out there. Turns out yourself included, Mike. <laughs> um, can we talk a bit about the, like going from concept to final production version of that shoe? Uh, walk us through it. Um, those early stages of the idea and then like how many iterations of that shoe were there? And I'd be curious to know if it was kind of, well, it was maybe sort of X number of versions and that's actually pretty standard at Solomon or does that completely, there is no standard. It just depends on, you know, each product is its own thing. And sometimes there's, we nail it early. Sometimes there's a whole lot more iterations. What does that look like? Yeah, so at Solomon, we kind of think about producing shoes. I'm in mean, the average here around a year to three years in advance. So that's usually our, our window of time. Uh, the Ultra Glide was actually my first week in March of 2019. I started to work on that, my first week in, in Solomon HQ. And the goal with that shoe was to bring a softer cushioned product into Solomon's trailing range. And the reason for this was, you know, of course, we wanted to to help you know grow our business and stay competitive with everything else in the market. But you know, one thing that got kind of personal for me was all these years being in trail running and and selling shoes and, and running with people. People always said, "I love Solomon, but they just don't have a shoe for me." Oh, what do you mean? Well, they're just too they're just too firm. They're too narrow. And being that Solomon super fan that I was talking about forever, that used to really frustrate me. Even before I worked at Solomon, because I'm like, "Oh, Solomon's you know this great company." They're they believe in trail running so much. They believe in you. like, And really what I wanted, I wanted more people to experience Solomon and experience some of that magic that a pair of shoes can really have. So yeah, so basically we started working on it in March of 2019. We had some setbacks in, in development, just kind of where we were sourcing materials from kind of changed. And uh, we had a lot of different versions, um, some really not so good ones, some really pretty bad ones. Uh, we went through a few different suppliers for midsoles and uh, one thing that was really cool was in, in parallel, we were working on uh, the S-Lab Pulsar, which was the shoe Killian worked on it with us exclusively to to break the Sears and all uh, course record. And in parallel, he also wanted a soft shoe that was bouncy and, and and resilient and fun to run in. And, you know, at the same time, I was like, well, actually, I want that in this shoe. So we were able to kind of co-develop these at the same time, which is actually pretty cool. Um, it took us a little longer to get the Ultra Glide out just because of extra testing and durability and et cetera, and switching some of our, our suppliers. But it took about 18 months to bring it to, to market. And then, you know, unfortunately, uh, it came to market right at the, at the height of COVID. And, you know, supply chains has, has just totally disrupted its launch and its installation. But it, you know, the people who have bought them and, and reviewed them and, and ran in them love them. And yeah, it was about an 18 months, almost two year process to, to bring that to life. What ended up being the trickiest part of dialing in that shoe to where you wanted it to be? I think, I think making it uh, different than anything that was on the market to still have a point of difference in the shoe. And, you know, of course I'm a little biased, you know, as the, as the PLM who worked on the shoe, but I think it really does provide a really great fit, comfort and grip and do all three really well, where it's still, it's still a precise fit. It's still also generous, generous as well, if you need it to be. Um, it's soft underfoot, but it's not, um, it's not tippy. It's really, really stable. And the outsole is, is super grippy. So to do all three really well, I, I think that was the hardest part. And that was something that we just were really vigorous in testing, uh, making sure that it did all three really well. Because, I mean, there's great shoes in the market. I mean, every company makes great shoes. But I don't know if everyone does all three at the level that we wanted it to. So it was really just about just trying to do everything the best and making sure that it was also durable in the process, making sure that there was no quality issues. So a lot of other things that went into it, but yeah, probably just dialing all, all three things, fit, comfort, and grip. Got it. I mean, is that just always true on any shoe development? It's about hitting that right blend of the, well, and I, it seems like the durability thing has to kind of factor in. So fit, comfort, grip, durability. I mean, then there's the whole fifth thing about how do you actually produce a whole bunch of these with consistency. But if we bracket, if we bracket the production part of this, is that just if I if we talked, you know, 
20 times more with 20 new shoe launches. Is it just always that thing or does it sometimes vary where you're like, man, this other shoe we worked on, it was just really hard for some reason to get the fit right or traction somehow. You know what I mean? How often is the difficulty different in developing a new shoe? Yeah, all the time. It's um, like we were talking about earlier um, with specificity and things. I think different shoes are designed for different things. And at Solomon, we have so many shoes and we really want to make sure every trail runner has, has, has their needs met. So you know, some shoes are for going up higher in the mountain, and that shoe's priority is going to be protection, stability, and grit, for example. Um, and sometimes, yeah, it, it doesn't go that way. Um, we probably fail in production and design, you know, 30% of the time. Um, and that's also because we do hold ourselves to a pretty high standard. And, and, and if you are innovative, you're, you're, going to, you're going to fail. Uh, but then, like, you know, so let's say the Sense Ride, for example, that's more about being versatile, um, keeping it at the right price point and making it, you know, a very balanced shoe. So there are always different, different uses, different needs, different, you know, different consumer emotions we're trying to, to trigger, different uh, ration, rational differences we're trying to, to and problems we're trying to solve. So it, yeah, at least at Solomon, every product is a little bit, a little bit different. Let's muddy the waters even further. What happens when you start thinking about, say, a European running market or European consumer versus the, say, North American running market? Or I don't even know if you accept those two uh, groups, right? If you're like, no, 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 it's way more nuanced than that in terms of like meaningful demographics for us at Solomon. Um, how does that factor into this? Yeah, you know, the the North American trail running world and European trail running world are are, are very different. There are similarities, but they, are, they definitely are different. Um, they're different from runner expectations. So one thing that we have found actually recently in some more studies is that uh, European runners tend to like a, a tighter, more narrow fit. North American runners tend to like a more more generous fit and actually tend to size up more than a European runner. They tend to size down. So right off the bat, you know, there's just different preferences. And I think it actually parallels life. Like in the U.S., we have big sprawl, big cars, big houses, mm. air conditioning, you know, come to, come to Annecy, it's a ton of apartments, it's small cars. My Volkswagen Golf was at times too big um, when I was living over there, um, no air conditioning. So I think there's like parallels there, but, but also just in, in the types of terrain, you know, if I were to run in my backyard here in Ogden, Utah, and a lot of the American West, it's pretty smooth, pretty buffed out, a lot of switchbacks, um, not overly rocky, not, not super, super steep in a lot of areas. But if I were to go in my backyard in Annecy, it's it's really steep, it's really wet, it's really technical. Um, so right there, you know, those types of terrain differences also require different features in a shoe. So maybe in Annecy, I want more grip and stickier rubber and more precise fit. Maybe in you know my backyard here, I want just maybe more cushion, more rocker, less traction, lighter weight, more breathable. So we really have to take in all of this into consideration. And sometimes we know that one shoe is more geared for Europe and one is more geared for North America. And in fact. There's some Solomon shoes we only make in in Europe, for example, and they don't actually we don't bring them here to the U.S. because there's really not the same the same market. Um, not to say there isn't technical trails in the U.S. for sure. You, gosh, go up to Vermont and the White Mountains and the Green Mountains, and it's just as technical and tough as anything. I mean, it's some of the slowest going terrain I think on the planet. Um, same out in the Cascades, and 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 for sure in you know parts of Southern Europe, the, the trails are super smooth too. But we try to look at like the general practice of the sport you know, where people, where's the highest amount of population density and user and then what they're using it for. Um, and there's similarities and there's differences. And we try to make sure that we have, again, the right product for all types of runners all over the world. How often do you guys get hit up? Like the single email comes in from somebody in the US and they're like, I want that shoe that's only available in Europe. Uh, you know, or vice versa. Like, and I actually don't know the answer to this question. How easy would it be to go get that? I mean, is it as simple as like somebody go find the shoe online from a European retailer and or vice versa? I mean, do you have a sense of how often that's happening? Jeez. Well, I know that when I was working at Solomon in, in, in Utah, I really wanted some shoes that Solomon was making over there. And, and I had friends go to um, some, some dealers in Chamonix, for example, and buy them and ship them out. I don't know. I don't know if people are doing it. 
uh, for sure, when when some American friends come over to Europe, you know, for UTMB or whatever, they're they're definitely into like you know different colors and different and different models and stuff for sure. But I don't think many people are doing it. Uh, I think it's just probably ex- expensive and excessive. Um, but yeah, I mean, for sure, we, we get I get an Instagram message every once in a while, or someone from Solomon who manages the Instagram will be like, "Hey, is this shoe going to be available?" I'm like, "No, not yet. Maybe in 2023 or something." But got it. So the Ultra Glide has now been out to the world. I think that started showing up. A, some was it last August ish? Yeah, there were some pairs available late May and June, but okay. mainly in August. Yeah. Okay. So the big question, Mike, what's next? And I know you can't go into a whole lot of detail, but I am curious, just this could be like, here's some of the things that you personally are thinking about or wondering about versus um, maybe you are able to share some of the things that, you know, the brand is kind of thinking about and exploring a bit. Yeah, I think, you know, what's next? I think one thing that the world is kind of waiting for in trail running is, is more sustainability in product. I think what's really interesting is we see the sport going in a more sustainable way, whether that's um, being more inclusive at, at events or events that contribute to environmental causes like Running Up for Air, for example, a really great event here in the Wasatch Front, and they've expanded around the world. Um, I think you know, coupless races, race directors encouraging carpooling, um, also athletes getting more and more involved and in speaking up for what's right, like Dakota, Dakota Jones and Claire Gallagher, for example. But one thing that's really missing is just the product. You know, we're still creating tons of shoes that go into landfills. And I think there's two ways we can, we can as, a, as an industry, change that. One, we can make things more durable, last longer, get more life out of them. Or two, find ways to um, recycle products. Um, right now, a lot of brands are using recycled materials, but the reality is there's still a lot of just virgin-based materials that we are using. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, Solomon, we... we are working on that. We do have a fully recyclable road running shoe called the Index 01, uh, which is super cool, but it's still not the perfect solution for trail. You know, it's got to be grippy. It's got to be durable. It's got to be, you know, it has to fit really well. So I think sustainability is something that is in the forefront of everyone's um, thoughts and, and everyone's ideas. And then the other thing I, I think was really interesting, and I've been thinking about this more and more is, you know, how do we get people to run? We've talked about people running faster and we've seen that in road running, but how do we get people to run further? You know, I think there's, there's two, there's two different things that runners want to do. And I think they either want to run faster. No one ever wants to run slower. It's like, Oh, I ran this 5k. Like, hope I'm slower this year. Or, I'm gonna go run Leadville. I hope I run two hours slower. I don't think anyone ever wants to run slower. Right. But how do, but how do we get people to run further? You know, and I think, you know, what can a shoe do that can facilitate someone to run further? And I think that's for, for whatever that is. Uh, what are the problems to solve, you know, whether it's going from 5K to 10K, 100 miles to 200 miles, five days to seven days. So I think thinking about, you know, what a super shoe could be for further um, or higher or going downhill faster. I don't know. I think that's the, I think that's the other way we could, we could look at bringing some innovation to, to the market. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, I think everyone right now is trying to think what's, what's the next big thing in trail. And for sure, I think we have ideas, but It'll, it'll be fun to see. It'll be fun to see what the next three to five years look like. Yeah. I like that too. We kind of were talking about this up front in the conversation that like, yeah, reducing times and running faster is a sort of very obvious goal. But what if we don't care about, you know, faster and we just, you know, back to your point about you're like, I really like being out in the mountains and being able to have that experience for a longer period of time in a given day or weekend, extending and prolonging a good experience outside. I like that. I think that's a pretty cool thing to think about and probably frankly resonate, would resonate with just a whole lot of people that are like, yeah, I don't have a race bib on today, (laughs) but I'd love to go have a good day in the mountains by myself or with a friend. Um, So yeah, good, good to make sure we keep the various potential goals and goalposts, I guess, moving or, you know, different ways to chop up and experience running. For sure. I want to let you get back to work, you know, since you now (laughs) have to go uh, do some of these things we've been talking about. But Mike, this has been cool. And um, I think people will really just enjoy hearing your own story. So often it is a story where it's like, somebody's like, I ran cross country, you know, in sixth grade and kind of 
moved into this in a more um, maybe obvious way. And I like the fact that you have shown us all that sometimes it's not that obvious and uh, one can get brought in and um, find uh, a path just by being open to some new things that you're curious about. And you might read Dean's book and find Tony's website and um, it can take you down some, uh, some interesting roads and into some different countries. Yeah, one thing I will say about that, which I think is super interesting, I was I was flying back from from LA for something, and I met a musician from a pretty famous band, and we were both talking about our lives and and you know how we got into what we do, and we kind of both decided that life gives you gives you keys keys to doors, and when you get that key and you open that door, if it feels right, just go through it yeah. and just keep, you know, for me, my you know my key was a pair of Solomon's that I put on my feet at a trail running race that a rep gave me back in like 2011. And that's how I learned about the brand and it just felt right. And I wanted to run on trails, run the mountains. And for this guy, it was just listen to, you know, listen to this Bruce Springsteen song, you know, about following your dreams. And this felt right and picked up a guitar and it just felt right. Right. I mean, I think life gives us these things. And when you get that key, open that door. And if it feels right, just, just go into it. And, um, I think it's a really, really special thing. And I, and I think when it feels right and you love it, and you're passionate about it, it great things can happen. So hmm. here, here, I like it, <laughs> Mike. Thanks. Um, I hope we can do this again sometime. Uh, this was, this was cool and, uh, good luck with everything. I hope you continue to enjoy running in all those, uh, Utah mountains you're surrounded by good luck on the product side of things too. Yeah. Thanks. Really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Take care. Thanks. Well, that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. I want to say thanks to Mike for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward. And we will talk to you again next week. <laughs>